LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and I am uh, I'm flying solo today, but I'm here with a, a, a very special guest, a very timely guest, uh, Joel Mamby, who you may or may not recognize that name. Uh, he wrote a book uh, a while back called Love Works, and they've redone that book and added a couple chapters. And one of those chapters is particularly, oh, it, it is so timely at this point in time because he took over. Uh, he took over SeaWorld right as the Blackfish crisis happened uh, and led through that. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get to know him a little bit more and uh, hear about other um, crises that he's he's led through. So um, and tell us a little bit more uh, about yourself and uh, the different leadership roles that you've had. I know that you have had many and we, we may not want to just talk about SeaWorld, but go back in your early days of leadership, talk about those early days and then bring us up to the present day and how you're, you know, reinvesting yourself uh, these days as well. Sure. Absolutely. Well, thanks Todd. It's great to be on your show and and I really do appreciate the time. And it's certainly an extraordinary time we're living in. Uh, the, the long story short on the career side is um, I, I actually became a believer when I was about 16 and yet always knew I wanted to be in the marketplace. And long story short, I spent about the first 20 years uh, in the auto industry with mostly uh, Saab and Saturn, which were two very unique brands within the General Motors world, and didn't see a lot of positive leadership there. A lot of, General Motors as a whole was very fear-based culture, very autocratic, and I just thought I, I, I would call it an angst I had for almost that entire 20 year period where I felt like there had to way of, be a better way to lead. How could I live out my faith in the work world? I wanted to be there, but I, I felt somewhat disconnected between the work environment and certainly my home environment and church environment. And so I always had this longing to pull them all together. And my, my last job with General Motors, I was CEO of Saab North America. Very, very fortunate to have that. Um, but that was a huge crisis of cash flow shortages and a brand that was in real trouble. So learned a lot about crisis leadership there. But as far as the, the pivotal moment uh, in my life, I would say from a leadership standpoint perspective is I went, uh, I went from Saab and was recruited to Amazon, one of Amazon startups that we sold cars. And that, that actually only lasted about a year because of the dot-com implosion, which was another crisis. But then was on the board of Hershen Entertainment, which is a theme park company. And Jack and, and Peter Hershen ran it. And they have brands like Silver Dollar City, all the Dolly Parton's theme parks in East Tennessee, right. the Harlem Globetrotter. So that was the turning point, Todd, where... They showed me a philosophy that it was just, it was loving other people, caring about them, respecting them, treating them like you and I would want to be treated, but there was a lot more to it. And so I spent the next 15 years of my life as CEO of that company, focusing on taking Jack and Pete's principles, putting them into a vernacular, which we called love works. And we basically paraphrased seven words from first Corinthians 13 
And we put a ton behind it, which I'm happy to go into if you want to. But that taught me that we can actually use Jesus's number one commandment, love God, love others, and put it into place as a leadership principle. And the results were just incredible. And then I, I, I was there 15 years and then CEO of SeaWorld uh, for about almost three. And then I resigned, left uh, a couple years ago. And now I've, I'm a chairman of a, a nonprofit. I have been for, for 20 years. So that's the very, very high level synopsis. Well, talk about, uh, talk about that that time of going into SeaWorld in particular, this is something that I'm sure it took them by surprise. It, it, it kind of came out of, of nowhere. And then, you know, of course the former C the, the CEO resigned before you, and then you, you came in and took over. What was that like? Where did you start? Um, yeah. <laughs> just kind of walk us through that. Sure. Absolutely. Um, I will say, first of all, just just one thing about Hershen is I, I went to Jack and the chairman, and of course, I, I, it was very hard for me to leave. I had been there 15 years. I love those folks, all of them, the whole family and the board. I just felt like I had done what I needed to do there. I really wanted to see if Love Works um, could work in a in a publicly held company. Hershen's privately held. It's certainly easier to do in a privately held company. So. That was part of what drove me there. Um, I also felt like SeaWorld was getting a really raw deal. So basically, we had an, a number of challenges. Um, externally, everyone, I think, probably knows about the Blackfish movie, or most people do, that, that made SeaWorld look incredibly bad. I mean, I watched it, and I didn't like SeaWorld before I went there because it was so well done, but... I knew it was mostly false. Then um, we had a Justice Department investigation, which before I got there, some of the statements made by the company were deemed to be possibly uh, falsified. And there was a whole investigation going on with most of the management team, not affecting me, but taking up extreme amount of time. The uh, animal activists were protesting every week. Um, at our parks, we had international partners and travel agencies dropping our ticket sales because we were under so much heat. Our biggest partner, uh, Sesame Street, almost pulled the deal on us. I spent a lot of time in New York. And on top of all that, there was legislation in California and Washington against the company to stop whale breeding and outlaw it, basically. And so in the midst of all that, our sales, uh, when I got there, had dropped 35%. They ended up dropping about 50%. And in a fixed cost business like that, it just is very, very difficult. And I think a lot of your listeners right now, whether they're church leaders or small entrepreneurs, um, they're facing the same thing. You know, this cash flow is short and they have to make a lot of very difficult decisions. And I will say we, we put together in a very short order a 10 point plan, the board approved it. Uh, I won't, I won't, uh, deny it. We probably work 20 days, 20 hours a day, six, six and a half days a week, um, to try to turn it around. But it took, it took endless nights. And I know a lot of the listeners are going through the same thing right now. It seems like it's never going to end, but, uh, in the end of the day, we are able to turn the, the reputation of the company, the sales started to turn, there was also an internal factor that eventually 
led to my resignation, which was a, an activist investor who came inside and just it, it became so dysfunctional that I asked the chairman either he needed to put some standards around this person or uh, and how they were how he treated other people or, or it wasn't going to work. And long story short, I, I resigned about six months after that activist investor came in the company. Um, and just a side note, they've since I left two years ago, they have had six CEOs. Whoa. Either temporary or, you know, they would appoint in the two main time, the main full-time CEOs they brought in only lasted five and seven months respectively. Um, so there's a problem there, obviously. Yeah. And, but that's, that's the short, that's in short order what we did. Can I, uh, I do want to ask you uh, about those 10 points and, and if, you know, you could rattle those off, off the, off the top of your head. But before I do, I want to ask you about dealing with activist investors. Here's why. When you say that, it may not sound uh, so connected at first glance, but pastors quite often have an activist investor in their church. There's somebody who is giving to the church and they know that they have uh, maybe a, a larger portion of the giving than normal and they want time, attention, et cetera, uh, as a result of that. So can you talk to us maybe a little bit about that? Yes, it's a very insightful question, Todd, because, and the reason I did want to talk about external internal is I know a lot of pastors and and ministry leaders are facing that same issue, if not in the COVID crisis, always. And I, um, my advice would be you as the leader of the church have more quote unquote, I hate to use the term power, but, but you have more power than you think most, first of all, because none of us should put our self-worth in whether we keep our job as the lead pastor or not, or I should, I have made the mistake in my life of putting too much on that. So don't misunderstand me. I, the biggest learning of my life is that's not my identity. And I, and, and therefore the, the lead pastor should be just that the lead pastor and go to their elders and say, you know, this is my plan. Do you support it or not? And hopefully the, the lead, the elder board usually supports it. And if this one activist investor or large donor, uh, is, is not supporting that or giving different direction, the, 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 the lead pastor has to go back to the board and, if it's a if it's a weak board that won't stand up to that large donor, then you know then we do have we do have a problem, which is frankly what happened to me. The rest of the board wasn't strong enough to stand up to this uh, man, and I went to the chairman and said, "Look, he's he's playing CEO. He's not playing board member. He's going around my back. He's telling people different things, and I'm telling them." no CEO is going to put up with this. So fix it or we have a problem. Well, they didn't want to fix it. So we, 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 we resigned. I, I would, I know this is a strong statement, but I would say a lead pastor should really do the same thing. Cause in the end of the day, we're here to lead the way Jesus would teach us to lead. And that's to be brutally honest with your elder board, so tell it like it is. And if they don't want to support the lead pastor, it's, it's uh hopefully one of them will have a very honest conversation with 
with the lead pastor and this activist investor, hopefully there's a, the chairman, the lead pastor and the activist can meet in a room and hash it out. That's how it should work. And if it doesn't, then just use the board to the best of your ability. That's good. All right. So um, walk us through at least if, if, if I'm trying to decide whether all 10. Oh, no, or, I, can, uh, I can. I can just do. Um, I can just do a very, very high level on the on the SeaWorld situation as far as the branding. But um, I think it's a separate conversation if we want to talk about crisis issues. But as far as our plan, uh, we had to reposition the brand from basically being um, animal, uh, basically animal entertainment oriented to caring about uh basically ocean health and animal health. So we call it park to planet. You come to the park, you help save the planet. So it was a brand repositioning, uh, from a product standpoint, which is the second thing we had to completely reconfigure our product, um, from just being animal shows to virtual reality festivals, rides and attractions that were all animal based. And then there was a lot of marketing changes, finance changes and HR changes. But on the first two, I'd love to draw a parallel to, to churches because I think in the COVID crisis right now, a lot of churches are facing an identity crisis. Um, I'm on the board of an organization that serves a lot of churches around the world. And um, with the stay-at-home mentality, certainly the people are going to come back together. They're going to want to gather. But I think in general, more people stay home. Even an active churchgoer now, maybe twice a month, not four weeks a month. And they're more used to watching things online now. So that identity crisis in a church is somewhat like SeaWorld's identity crisis. And it means churches have to have better technology to deliver their content into the home. Somehow they have to stay connected to their um, parents and their, especially with youth programming. And so there are some similarities there. And the one piece of advice I might give the listeners that I've learned the hard way is when you're in a crisis like this, you're in the middle of short term cash issues, immediate issues, um, even trying to get things done when you're all apart and doing Zoom calls and who's doing what can be tiresome. And, but at the same time, we have to pivot. And, you know, SeaWorld was running out of cash and had to lay some people off. Yet at the same time, we had to reposition the entire company because, you know, having a whale shows isn't, isn't a winning formula for the long-term future in America. And the same sense with churches, they, we have to lead in the short term and think in the short term, but at the same time, we have to lead and vision to the future. And I think that's one of the most exhausting things as a, as a top leader is doing both. And we can seem tone deaf if we do one or the other too much. You can't just vision the future while you're running out of cash, but you also can't just solve the cash issues without thinking about long-term, how are we going to fix this problem? That's really good. So now it's fine. I'm trying to think if there's any more keys from SeaWorld that I could apply specifically um, from our, our five point or 10 point plan. Um, I would, I would say the people side, um, one thing that it's, it's going to sound harsh, but 
at least for me, I have found as a, a CEO for 25 straight years is the people kind of led you into the problem aren't typically the people that can lead you out. And when you're in a crisis like this, it's, it becomes very evident who can pivot fast, who has a more flexible mind, who is more willing to take the risks. And I would encourage leaders to kind of trust your instinct there. And if those people might rise up in the organization. They might get promoted faster. And some who have more struggle might need to find you know, a new role in the organization. And if anything, I've always wished I had moved faster, trusting my instincts on that versus uh, moving too slow. I, I wish I had gone faster. That's so good. Well, uh, we know that leaders are our learners. So I, I do want to ask you who you're currently learning from today. That's interesting. I learned from a lot of people. Um, first of all, I know it's a cliche answer, but I, I learned a lot in my quiet time, which I, and it's every day I read the the scripture when I do, I don't do it every day, but it's always a different, more enlightening thing. But I'm learning a lot right now, um, listening to different different people on podcasts. But I'm uh, one of my one of the people in the the nonprofit I I'm with, Reggie Joiner, is really um, he's very innovative and he's really trying to help churches get through this crisis by helping deliver products into the home. And uh, so they, they've done a good job there. And um, I'm learning a lot from him just leading through this crisis. So with, um, with where you are in your current, uh, role, whether it be with that organization or just in life, you know, what's your, what's your main point of emphasis right now? I, I actually, um, just going back a little bit to the book for a minute, my, the, where I'm spending my time and my focus is, the, the, the book love works was mostly for the general environment, right? It's not specific other than that new chapter on SeaWorld. It's not specifically about crisis, but what I've done is taking, I've taken those seven words of love and applied each of those to how to, how to implement those in a crisis. And I'm speaking a lot on it. Um, you know, we can spend some time here now on it in the podcast if you want and just go, I, I'm putting training materials out to help people get through what I think is probably the worst crisis most leaders will face in their, their lifetime. Um, I'll just, I'll just give you one example. Um, and if you want more, I can go as long as you want. The, the first word of love in the book is patient. And it's usually about, you know, being patient, not losing your temper and, and, and trying to basically praise in public and admonish in private. That's, that's the main point, but also don't be, but don't be inauthentic in your praise. But in a crisis, I think, uh, I'd have three different words under patience. I'd, one is being present. One is being authentic and one is being empathetic. You know, we have to be present and it's very difficult with zoom, zoom calls and conference calls. We can't be in the same room. So, I think we have to communicate till we're absolutely sick of it. And you know, if, you, if you're not sick of communicating, I don't think we're communicating enough. And it's also really important to be completely authentic. Um, people can read immediately through kind of false positives. And we do ourselves a real disservice as leaders if we don't 
tell the brutal truth about how bad things may be or what, what are, how long it's going to take us to pivot. And I, I have a quote I'll, I'll share from a, a five-star general I saw actually in the news the other couple of nights ago. He was talking about authentic, being authentic, and he said, people will forgive you for not being the leader you should be, but they won't forgive you if you are not the leader you claim to be. And I, I have found myself, <laughs> it's a really good quote, and I have found myself in the nonprofit world, and I don't want to speak for anybody that's listening, but I've actually found people to sometimes in the Christian world uh, almost put a, a, oh, a face on or a mask on that everything's better than it is. And I don't think the people we lead want to hear that. They, they want to know exactly where we think things are. And even though as leaders, we want to give absolute certainty to what's going to happen, I don't think we can, but we can give clarity. We can, we can give clarity. Here are the facts. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we plan to do tomorrow. And when the facts change, we come back and say, you know what? That's changed now. So here's, here's clarity given the new set of facts. Um, and then that's, so that's under authenticism. I think in the last point being empathetic and patient is we have no idea what our folks are going through. We know how stressful it is for us and whatever they're saying to us, it's just the tip of the iceberg. If they say they're anxious, they're incredibly anxious. If they say they're struggling, they're really struggling. And we just have to be, I think, empathetic to that fear that they're having that loss of control, mostly because we feel it ourselves too. And so I think just acknowledging that um, and being patient about it is great. So I've tried to take each of those, those seven words a, and apply it to this crisis to try to be helpful to leaders since I've been through so many of them in my life. You know, that reminds me of um, uh, John Boyd. I don't know if you know that name or not. Yes, but I do. You know, OODA Loop? Do you know what I'm talking I'm about with the OODA Loop? Well, I don't know Oodaloo, but I've heard of John Boyd. So I've maybe I'm... So uh, he was, you know, of course, uh, uh, General Air Force. And he yeah. um, he came up with this uh, Oodaloo for dogfighting. And he said it's still, it's still apparently what, you know, our pilots use today um, in their training. And it is observe, orient, decide and act. And he mm -hmm. says the, the, the pilot who can do that the fastest wins the dogfight every time. <laughs> and it's that, um, it, when you talked about being authentic and just being clear with people on, on where we are, um, but being, you know, again, flexible enough to, to continue to shift and move, that that reminded me of 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 that OODA loop, because in a time of crisis, you are looking to it like we can't just make one decision and, and that's it. It's going to be we we decide we act, but then it starts all over again. We need to observe. We need to look at, you know, the data that's coming in. We we, we can't just look at our short term budget or our cash flow right now as a church or an organization it's continuing to come around that and observe, orient yourself, 
decide, act, observe. I love that. That's yeah, that's a great point, Todd. And it's, it's really just a, it's a subset under clarity. That's giving people clarity of how are we going to act given this? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll build on that point a little bit. When you say observe, orient, decide and act, I think that's uh, now that you say that that's typically how in a crisis I'm leading a meeting. It's like, what are the facts? Let's all get on. Let's all get the facts out first. Everyone get oriented. And we, we go around the room, we talk about it, then we decide. But when we act, we have to communicate extremely well to everybody. That's different. I've also seen on juxtapose other leaders. I put this under the word kindness, which is the second word of you know, first Corinthians, love is patient, love is kind. I think sometimes leaders try to be too kind in crisis. In other words, they try to either be slightly the comedian where they're always cracking some jokes or trying to loosen everybody up. And there's no harm in doing that. And I crack lots of jokes too, but I don't, there's, there's a point in time where people just want to be led. Don't, don't be a cheerleader as much as just a factual, strong leader to do that observe or decide and act. Um, and, and I've seen it a couple of times in my career where the leader just may be uncomfortable because when you try to be a comedian too much, it feels like you're not, you're not willing to address the difficult issues that are, that are in front of you. Okay. All right. So I, I would ask, uh, what this is a dangerous question, but um, I'm, I'm deviating off the five questions again, um, which I think our listeners are used to now. Um, but what's one of your of your biggest mistakes as uh, a leader where you failed forward? Maybe that was, you know, when you were younger or you, you've talked about different things that you've learned in different um, roles along the way. But how? Well. How was that? I've, uh, it's, a, it's a good question to ask. I think everybody, um, we've all made huge mistakes. Um, mine, without a doubt, has been uh, of the, of, I always apply everything back to the words of love because I think that's what Jesus wanted. And it's, it's being trusting and truthful are two of the words. And when I've made the huge mistakes in my life, um, I haven't been completely truthful and it's not like I lie. It's, 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 it's back to that point of we can't, we can't, uh, camouflage the situation. Sometimes in being a salesman, you, you want to, to, to position things too positively. And those are, those lead to the biggest mistakes in my life. And my, I didn't plan to talk about this and it's always hard for me to talk about, but I, it's in the book. So I don't, it's public information, but when I was at SeaWorld, it was so stressful and I, I got so dysfunctional, I think so unhealthy as a leader because of the hours and I think all kinds of other issues. I, I made several mistakes and wasn't always truthful and ended up losing my, my, my marriage in the middle of the whole crisis at SeaWorld. So literally within six months, I had lost my marriage and I had lost my job, which was took me to a whole depth of depression and despair that I didn't think was possible. Um, and I learned so much about, you know, no matter how bad the truth is in life, in personal life or in our professional life or with any relationship we have, whether it's 
marriage kids or friends or workers, if we are not just dreadfully, brutally honest, it will come back to bite us. And that's, if I could emphasize that a hundred times over, is it never gets better. It only gets worse at work or home or life if we just don't own up to every mistake we've made and say, yep, I, I messed up and please forgive me. And um, because when, when, when leaders are working, the kind of hours they're working, the stress they're under, there's every possible way one can medicate oneself in this world today that uh, it leads to problems if we're not truthful. And um, I would apply that both in crisis or just, you know, the biggest mistake I've made. But you asked what my biggest mistake was, and I, there's nothing else that even even compares to that, um, that loss of a, a long-term relationship like that. So I, I think it's really important, which I'll lead to one other thing on leading in a crisis, is you know, the church is not... I would say the the individual church, not church broadly, is if the, the the pastor's leading is not more important than what's going on with their children or their home. And this is such a stressful time that we have to take care of ourselves first. We have to get enough sleep. We have to eat well. We have to exercise. And if we don't do that, which is what I didn't do at SeaWorld, and everything started to unravel. Um, it just causes very unhealthy living. So I would encourage the leaders, no matter how stressed they are, they have to take time for themselves. They have to be truthful and they have to take care of their own family first. You know, one of the things that um, I'm actually trying to work on uh, right now is I'm really beefing up. We have a a training platform called ministry grid that uh, a lot of churches use to, uh, well, pastors used to develop themselves and their staff and, uh, and mostly volunteers and leaders, but, <clears throat> you know, bringing in new content on pastors, counselor, bringing in new content that is um, related to counseling, <laughs> mostly, um, yeah. and, and helping individual people walk through some of their stuff, because if at any time, it is true right now, when someone is in isolation, forced isolation, um, man, your issues, if you've got issues, they are going to, they're, they're, they're going to come up right now. Oh, this, they get amplified a yes. hundredfold, I think. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I can remember as a, as a child, you know, back in, middle of nowhere, Kentucky, they used to do these sermon in a sack things for the children. And, and one of the, uh, the, one of the ones I remember, um, was they had two oranges and, but one of the oranges was like, I don't know, injected with ink or something on the inside. But the, the whole idea was, Hey, when you are squeezed, when you are really squeezed, whatever's truly on the inside is what comes out. And, um, Luckily, I, I learned that in childhood and made a few mistakes myself along the way. And yeah, I, I think that right now is a really good time for uh, everybody listening to make sure you're, you're gut checking yourself really well 
And just because you're on Zoom calls with people all day, make sure that you have people in your life uh, that are brutally honest with you and that you are brutally honest with. Um, because if you don't, you can get shot out of the saddle really easily coming out of this. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's well said. And, and I that is the biggest of the of the seven words for me is to be completely truthful. And um, I think with our people too, our, as we lead, another really important word is trustworthiness or being trusting. And what I find in a crisis is leaders tend to, especially entrepreneurs, maybe smaller churches, but even in, in larger churches or larger organizations, people tend to pull in power in a crisis. And, and in some ways you do have to because you have to be quicker with decisions, but that doesn't mean you do it all on your own. It means you delegate and yeah, you can have all those people in the room, but still make it clear that people have a role to play. And it's even more important to clarify who's making what decision, because if you take it all on yourself, what you just said will happen. You know, the orange will squeeze and all the bad stuff will start to come out. That happens under the stress of taking on too much yourself versus there's truly you know, I, every, every, every day as a CEO for 25 years, I was, one thing I was pretty good at is I'd drive in and I'd always be thinking, what are the things that only I can do? Only the CEO can do today. And I have to try to delegate everything else because there is always way too much to do, especially if you're the top leader. I mean, you could get dragged in all kinds of angles. And I think if a leader doesn't do that and they start consolidating all the decisions a, it's bad for the organization because bad decisions will be made if it's all consolidated to one person. Other people will feel left out. But a lack of trustworthiness can cause a meltdown personally because you're just taking on too much and uh, bad, bad things will happen. So it's related to being truthful, but you also have to be trusting as well to create an environment as a leader that you can be healthy. And there's, there's all kinds of, this is a lot, there's more, a lot more in my book about this part of how do you create a trusting and truthful environment? Well, for one thing, you don't, you don't talk first. You, you ask questions and let everybody else share their opinion, then make it known what you're going to do and tell everybody, well, here's why I decided this. I'm not going with Ted's idea or Sarah's idea or Sam's idea because here's why. But in a crisis, we tend to rally all that, make it all ourselves, and it just it just creates a very unhealthy situation. And I, of course, we can't shoot the messenger either. But and that's another key point. But I think probably talking last, and then just asking Socratic questions versus always coming into the meeting with the answer um, is bad. It's almost like back to your military analogy. It's like coming in and acting versus observing, meaning observe what's going around and you know, what are other people saying, orienting, and then deciding. So I think a lot of leaders start with acting because we feel, oh, we're a CEO. We have to make all the calls in a crisis. Right. And I, I tr trust me, that's, that's not the right way. So, so my guess is I'm going to add another O to the, the OODA loop, um, or at, le at least to this conversation. And that is, um, opinion. So, Odds are, I'm just guessing, uh, that you would come into that meeting or that room that we were just, that we were just talking about and you would already have some opinion of 
what we should probably ultimately act upon uh, or do. What percentage of the time would you say you came into the room uh, knowing, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is there, there are times where we're trying to lead a group of people to a specific answer there when we are pretty sure of where we should go. Uh, and yes, we're going to hear people. And yes, if we're a good leader, we're going to be open to change our minds. But what percentage of the time did you kind of come in knowing and you, and that's what ended up happening versus, you know, kind of processing. (laughs) Over the career, it's probably, you know, just with experience and time and knowledge, that percentage has definitely grown from maybe half the time to 80 to 80% of the time. I, I have a, a thesis certainly of, of what I, where I should go. But that's why I think it's so important to talk last is I would have my thesis and I, my questions to all the people around the table are, I'm kind of testing it. And I'm also, if they have a different opinion, they have to sell me off of my own idea inside. But if I state that right up front, I'm not going to get the truth out of people because even at the most senior level, people still are political and they're still going to say they're going to tweak a little bit to what the top leader is saying. And then, and then you don't get the truth. So, but I also don't want to confuse what I'm saying to, we have to have consensus. I don't think we have time in a crisis to necessarily always get consensus, but I would, I still always in those meetings try to say, okay, we only got eight, you know, it's an eight to two vote for you two people. Here's why I don't agree with what you're saying. Here's why I think we need to move in this other direction. At least you've made them feel heard and you've made them feel supported, even though you're going in a different direction. And I think that's also really important. That's, that's part of being um, a patient leader back to that first word is it takes time to do that, but I can guarantee you those two people are going to feel better about the different direction. And if I just said, I, I don't listen, here's what we're doing. And I don't really care what other people think. Um, so that, that's really, that's really, really important. Well, I think, you know, consistency as part of that trust and truthfulness thing that you were talking about as well. And if you are consistent as a leader in how you lead and, and they know when we're not in a crisis, this is also, you know, there's some big decisions that don't involve crisis for sure. So um, if they, if you've had a history of that, then that becomes that culture. And, and I think that's a really important thing um, to point out as well. The, the consistency portion of that really it's, helps build that culture where people can have the, the courage to, you know, say something that's, that's different than the boss. Yeah. Or, that is a really good point because um, one of the seven words of love is, is, kindness and other ones forgiving it, it we're not always going to get it right but if we have built up a, an emotional bank account as stephen covey would say where there's there's five positives for every negative you've got an emotional bank account to make these huge withdrawals of mistakes or lack of consistency i used to say a three to one positive and negative but i was actually talking to dr dr henry cloud who you may have had on your podcast or certainly have heard of. He, he says the brain is wired and scientifically it's been proven. We tend to go to the negative so much as, as human beings that if we don't get five reinforcements for everyone negative, the negatives just are exploded in magnitude. And I can tell you of all the seven words I talk about in the book, actually reinforcement and positive reinforcement is the least 
common and it's so surprising because it's free, but the human being tendency just doesn't tend to be encouraging. And that's what we need the most. But it also then leads to forgiveness, which certainly is a word within the Christian vernacular. It's usually not a word within leadership vernacular, but we aren't always going to be consistent and we're going to make mistakes. And we have to not only forgive our folks, but we have to forgive ourselves. And I had a great, I'll just tell one quick story on that. When I was going through the aftermath of my own mistakes and failures and I just couldn't get out of the pit for about three years. I just couldn't move forward. And a friend said, you know, do you think God has forgiven you? And I said, well, yes, that's, that's what I believe. And he said, well, why are you playing God then? Why, why can't you forgive yourself if God's forgiven you? And he gave me the statement. He, he said, Joel, I want you to start acting like the forgiven person that you are. I want you to start acting like the great dad that you are. And um, that really changed my perspective. And so for any leader here who, the reason I wanted to bring this up, I, I think some leaders on this call probably are feeling some guilt or shame, even though they didn't, this crisis is not their fault, but they maybe didn't build up enough cash. They had to let people go because maybe they didn't lead into it or react fast enough. I would just encourage you, please, to to remember God has forgiven you no matter what mistakes you've made and act like it and, and move forward because we have to lead and we can't afford to, to stay in that kind of shame based place. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. I really appreciate you being, um, you know, just upfront and authentic with, uh, with who you are and your past and what God has, has brought you through, you know, good and bad and ugly. Um, because there's plenty of mistakes that people make and pastors make that are listening to this right now that aren't as uh, open and blatantly obvious as, you know, the result of your mistake. Um, but they may be, <laughs> they may be just as big um, right. or, or, or something that, you know, may have happened that never came to light or, or things like that. Uh, and yeah. I just really appreciate you uh, sharing that with us. And even even that last bit of having the, the courage um, to forgive yourself and not let. I mean, let's be honest, especially as leaders. The one thing Satan wants to do to us after we're saved is neutralize us. He just wants to neutralize you. I mean, he, he's lost your soul, so he can't get that. But the, the thing that he, the card, the best card he can play now is to make you ineffective or neutralize you. Yeah. Yeah. And the way he often does that uh, is by bringing up past mistakes and past sins that we know we've been forgiven for, but we leave enough room and doubt in there that it messes with us and keeps us doing uh, our best work for the Lord and for the kingdom because we Yes, we know we have a still small voice from the Lord, but sometimes we pay attention to the wrong still small voice. That's like, I can't believe you. You that is so are trying true. to lead this organization through this, and you knew you should have six months of reserves. You, yeah. You've been told that for years. You've been warned by your financial guy. And so yeah. I love that you brought that up. And whether it is something that, 
uh, you know, seems more uh, sin or sinister in nature, or it's just incompetence um, or some level of incompetence. Uh, I love, I love Joel that you, you led us down this road uh, to where we are right now in the conversation. Well, I appreciate it. And I, I think everyone's going through one struggle or another um, in, in life. And it's funny how, I, and this is a different conversation. I don't even talk about this in Love Works, but um, I don't know why we always fail to talk about our, our mistakes when you look at who Jesus, well, who God used in the Bible. You, know, you just look at every leader other than Jesus himself had all kinds of scars, whether it's David or Moses or uh, all the New Testament figures that Paul, whatever his his uh, his scar was that he no one knows for sure. But um, God uses very flawed people to do really really great things, and I. But for some reason, we have a hard time um, communicating. And I think it's, I, I feel for lead pastors or any pastor because they probably have it hard in anybody. People expect them to be perfect. And um, that's, that's an unfair expectation of any congression or con- congregation. Although I, I don't think they congregations really feel that way, but I'm sure pastors kind of feel like they need to be. Um, but, but that's where uh, forgiveness and an apology and go a long, long way to people we've offended or lied to or just mistreated or gotten angry with or whatever. Um, so I, I think forgiveness and um, kindness are two really important words of leading with love. It's a well-known fact that planting churches and campuses is the most effective way of reaching the lost. And launching in a rented venue like a school or a theater is one of the most cost-effective ways to launch a new church. So if you're planning to launch a church or a campus and trying to figure out how to do that really well in a rented space, we encourage you to check out our friends at Portable Church. The team at Portable Church Industries takes your vision and creates engaging environments around it to keep volunteer retention high and allow more energy to be spent on ministry. So go to portablechurch.com slash lifeway to learn more and to find free customized resources that teach you how to launch portable and launch strong. Well, thanks so much for being uh, on the podcast today. Really appreciate you. Really appreciate your story. Um, Are there any additional resources that you have that might be helpful from um, uh, yeah, absolutely. this time? Yeah, I, I actually, um, people can go to uh, LoveWorks Joel Manby Facebook page and just to get connected or within literally next week, I'm launching just joelmanby.com, a website. And on that website, I'm going to have a, um, a much more filled out, um, basically ebook about leading with love in a crisis. And if people go to that website, uh, it's basically anytime after May 1st, I'm not sure when you're going to even air this, that it'll be out there and available to people. So that'd be a good way to either get the book or the ebook on crisis leadership. Excellent. Well, thank you uh, again so much for spending time with us and listeners. Thanks for listening. Uh, and please, please, please go over to iTunes, leave a rating and review so other people can find us. Uh, and if you find this podcast helpful, just go ahead and, and share it with somebody that you think may need to hear it. Thanks for listening. 
Well, thanks, Todd. Appreciate it. 